0: Welcome to The Republican Professor this afternoon. We have a very special guest, our youngest guest <laughs> so far on The Republican Professor podcast, Miss Karina Salcedo. And I think I already screwed up because I said miss and you're married, right?
1: I am married, but it's <laughs> <Mrs>. fine. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> sorry to Jonathan, I believe, your husband. Yes. <laughs> I happen to have met both of you in person, so... But uh, we're we're happy to have you. Uh, are you joining us from the East Coast?
1: I am. I am presently on the East Coast, yes.
0: Now, aren't you a California girl by
1: birth and training? Okay. Unfortunately, my roots take me back to California. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, is that a painful topic for you?
1: It is a painful topic. I love the state. I think... Mm-hmm what I love about California is that there's a little bit for everyone Mm -hmm. however and the community that I lived in we all lived about five minutes away from each other all my family members for the most part so it was very hard to leave California but I left for both undergrad and now for law school and I don't foresee me going back because I just there's really no, there's, there's no future there unless people are willing to stick around. And from what I can see, there's a mass exodus outside of California. So it's really heartbreaking because the state has, it holds vast resources, great weather, honestly, great, great food, great people for the most part, but it's really mm-hmm. sad to see what, what has become of what once was the golden state.
0: Why do you think that California is the way it is?
1: I think, I think there's a lot of things, but primarily I think because it's such a great place, there's so many resources, the weather's great. It's, it's a powerhouse state. And so I think naturally the Democrats aren't stupid. We know that obviously. So I think they were very smart in targeting such a large state with a vast amount of power, vast amount of natural resources. So I think number one, the Democrats are strategic. So I think that's a big reason. Number two, I, I think that there's just naturally different strongholds that take place in different areas. I'm a woman of faith, so I do believe that spiritual considerations are always at play when we consider politics the greatest scope of that. And California is has a great calling on it because of its location. and so of course, the enemy is going to attack it in one of the most fundamental pieces of uh, political structure, which is the American family, there is a very sad breakdown of the American family in California, Lots of fatherlessness, homelessness, uh, family separation. So I, I think that anytime that you see something as, as bad a situation as you do in California, you always have to look back to the American family and its breakdown.
0: Makes sense to me. You mentioned that the Democrats are strategic. That would make sense as a partial explanation, I guess. But it also assumes that the Republicans don't match them for their strategy. you think that that's true? Uh,
1: Unfortunately, I think... I think for a few years, the Republicans have been lagging, not because of a lack of effort, but because of a lack of understanding of the changing of time. I think the Democrats- Specifically in
0: California, right? We're talking about California. Yeah, specific. California. Yeah.
1: yeah, California specifically. So for one, the Democrats have a very stronghold, strong as you could probably imagine, on education in California. They, they were very smart in training the next generation to make California what it is today, so, I mean, if I can't think of a single, I cannot think of a single California school that I would have been comfortable attending as a conservative Christian woman. So that's initially what led me to flee. But I think not only were they smart in capturing education, they were smart in uh, abortion strategy, the breakdown of the family. Um, they have a record in Promoting drug abuse, which and, and all sorts of abuse, which, of course, naturally give way to the breakdown of the family, just a lot of different considerations. But the two primary things are laws that promote the breakdown of the family and strategic attack on American education in California.
0: Yeah, Democrats do seem to like their drugs a lot. <laughs> yes, um, they
1: do.
0: They're very passionate about their drugs. Um Yes, you know and it's interesting in
1: California.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. That's a, fair, a lot of just talking degrees. about California.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, okay, so you, you're you're saying that they, the Democrats are attacking the family and attacking education. Do you think that that's how they see themselves as attacking at those things? Why would okay. they want to attack those things?
1: That's a great question. I think I I don't, I want to believe that they don't see them as attacking. Like, I have to believe that there's something in their minds that believes that genuinely what what they think that they are doing is a good thing. And so I want to give grace to that. Maybe perhaps they really do think that for whatever reason, abortion is a good thing. They think that critical race theory is a good thing. They think that suppressing conservative thoughts and traditional history and lessons on fundamentals of American government and history is a good thing. I I, that is just my natural. Now, I think that the people at the very top know the truth. But in terms of trickling down, it's their their strategy and their effects to the common man and maybe even to smaller people in government, maybe like at the state level and um, maybe a few people at the federal level again, they may have the inclination and they truly do believe in their hearts that it is a good thing. And so that's why it's important for us to target them and to, to tackle it at the root, to tackle. And I, I just, just was talking about this with someone the other day is the first step is, is to figure out what you have in common and then keep asking questions to get to the root of why they believe what they believe is a good thing.
0: That makes sense. Do you have any Democrat friends by chance?
1: You know I actually do um, because there are there are very few of them, but the few of them that I've met that are willing to have civic civil conversations with me about policy, about law, even about faith, and how that intertwines with like political theory. It's been wonderful now I could probably count the amount of friends that I have from that um, from from the Democratic Party on my hand, but that's just because They most of the time don't want to be friends with me. I am perfectly fine being friends with anyone of any belief. I have, I, I don't, as a general rule for myself, I don't unfollow people on social media because of political beliefs or even spiritual beliefs. I only unfollow people if they've made it known to me that they are unwilling to engage in a conversation with me. And typically that's because they block me. And so I just naturally can't follow them. (laughs) But I do. I'm very grateful for those friends. I can have really good civil conversations where we actually talk about policy and get into the minutiae and and the important considerations of the conversation. But again, they're very few and far between, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I've had the same experience. Um, So any Democrats out there listening, or if you're independent or whatever, you're on the fence, just know that karina and i have tried we really we really have and i think you're you're explaining it the right way because there is a there's a love of drugs and i'm just describing i'm not evaluating i'm just saying this is my experience there's a love of drugs on the on the democratic side they love partying they love that as long as that except for when there's like a disease. But then even then, they still do it. They still protest. They still party. I think protests are parties for them. They like riots when it's their people doing it. They don't like Republicans in an extreme way. And so it does feel like an attack. It does feel like that. And with the, the institutions that, um, Democrats have managed to capture, like for example, the state government in California, many mm-hmm. local governments uh mm-hmm. media hollywood and and on and on, and they don't seem to like- free speech, you know it's not just guns they don't like talking about the Bill of rights I mean, they don't like religion, they don't like unless it's a minority religion <laughs> um yes, they don't like. Uh, they don't like um, free speech and and exchange of ideas. I'm I'm just saying generally. There's obviously people you can count on your hand, and I can too. I've had Democrats on this sh- on this podcast before, so there mm-hmm. are you know there's crazy people on our side too. But let's uh, get into a little bit about your family. I mean, you mentioned family, the importance of family. Are you, is your family in California?
1: Yes. Yeah, so my family is in California. I was born in california so so a little bit about my story i was born out of wedlock my parents when they had me they were completely different people Um, yes so my parents at the time they were um, proclaimed catholics but they never followed their faith um my parents both struggled with alcoholism and they both overcame that but we suffered from like a variety of different like family strongholds which were alcoholism um, some poverty issues and so for the formative years of my life I grew up in a garage um, and my parents were trying to you know make something of themselves my, my dad put himself through trade school and my mom went through beauty school you went you grew
0: did you say you grew up in a garage
1: I did for about four years of my life I grew up in a garage What what
0: what was this garage was it a Was it a house garage or was it like one of these auto zone garages? Not an auto zone
1: garage. It was a house garage. It was my my grandma's house garage. So I grew up in a garage. And then from there, my parents, one day there was this woman that I have to thank for everything. She introduced my mom to church and she um, invited her to go to a church called Greater Works Christian Church in Lancaster, California and Greater Works Christian Church changed my entire family's life. So once my mom was invited, my mom went, she brought us all, we all converted to Christianity, and my mom didn't stop inviting members of the family. She brought in so many people from, I have a very large family, I'm a a Mexican woman, so just big, Hispanic, loud, fun family, and she brought in all pretty much all of them into the church family and now they've all kind of like moved close to each other because they all want to be close to the church so it's just really it's a great community that i have of just amazing support we all live like i could walk to some of their houses from california uh, from where my parents live at the moment it's wonderful it's a wonderful community love my church love my family but it's just amazing to see what god has brought my family through um
0: was spanish spoken was spanish, spanish was spoken? spoken
1: yes that was yeah i used to be very good at speaking spanish when i lived with my grandma and now that i've been in law school where there's not really a lot of like spanish being spoken like i i've i've um not as good as i used to be but i can still do it just my grammar will be a little bit off
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you can understand it
1: i can understand it it's That's speaking cool. it i can speak it and and though for the most part people will understand me just I'll get present and past tense mixed up and stuff like that. Gotcha. Mm-hmm.
0: So you you sound like an American uh, European descendant. Well, actually, I guess Spain is your in Europe. But you just sound like somebody that can't speak Spanish, <laughs> basically.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. Makes sense. <laughs> My
1: family would say that.
0: That's hilarious. That's awesome that you can understand it, though. That's a huge skill. Uh, yeah, Lancaster, basically. you want to tell for people that are not familiar with California? Where's that at?
1: So Lancaster, it's a it's a city north of what you would consider downtown Los Angeles. It's mm-hmm. about, about an hour and an hour and a half away from downtown Los Angeles. It's in the high desert area. Okay. So typically when I say it's like kind of close to Bakersfield, people can kind of pinpoint where it is.
0: And so this is it a suburb area? Is it desert? What what's it like there?
1: It's a suburb, but in the desert. So okay. high desert is the way that I typically describe it. I mean, if I were to walk out of my parents' house and walk a little bit, you'll definitely see like a big, just array of Joshua trees, tumble- oh, yeah. tumbleweeds, snakes, yep. coyotes. That's- they're, they're very normal there, but it is a suburb. It's a commuter city. So a lot of people live there because it's more affordable for their jobs in LA. But I mean, it's re- nothing's really affordable in California at the moment. So,
0: so you, lived in this garage, you're obviously tight with your grandma, you yes. became a Christian, your parents became a Christian. Are your parents still together?
1: Oh, yeah, they're together. They're amazing. They're pastors of the church right now. They're both actively involved in government. They've just inspired me in every sense of the word. Uh, my my parents both are part of uh, the Palmdale Freedom Coalition, which is essentially a group of activists that go and petition the city council, school boards they are just doing phenomenal things in their city and i'm just so proud to be their daughter
0: okay i got to ask you kind of some rapid fire uh questions but feel free to take as long as you want answering right. them but these are just things that are coming up so to get to know you you've already said you're a christian you take that very seriously you take family seriously just curious how did uh, do you guys have guns? Do you like guns?
1: So actually, my family does own guns um, we're a a lo- gun loving family my My church family goes shooting I think almost every weekend back home. My husband' wow, that's a is, lot
0: of that's a lot of ammunition
1: <laughs> yes I, now, now, how they do that in California, I have no idea, but they do. <laughs> and my husband is a Texan. So I have gun lovers on both sides of my family.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, some Texans are not gun lovers uh, because well, Beto. Yeah. That's right, him, right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. My Well,
1: my husband is definitely a gun lover.
0: <laughs> that's good. That's very good to hear. Uh, yeah. I don't think I knew that exactly, but I'm not surprised because I don't think yeah. I've ever asked him that question dire- directly. But <laughs> that's not surprising to me based yeah. on the little I know about him. Okay. Okay. Um, so you're for the Second Amendment then?
1: I am very for the Second. I'm for all the amendments, the Constitution. <laughs> I'm a big Constitution yeah. girl.
0: <laughs> so even the Third Amendment, you, uh, you're, do you have that on your wall?
1: You know what is funny is I used to actually have the Constitution on my wall. I had oh, someone cool. when my, my parents took me to Washington, D.C., I got like the little scroll of the Constitution and I had like taped to my wall. But I moved, and so I haven't put them back up. So thank you for inspiring me to, to put those back up there.
0: <laughs> well, you're in law school, and I don't think there—I I can't think of a case on the Third Amendment. There might I, be yeah. one, but it's—I'm uh, it's sure
1: funny. there is one. <laughs> I like to—I
0: like to throw that at people. So where do you go to? Where do you go to law school, and then we'll work back to your college.
1: Yeah. High, so I—I I go to law school at Sandra Day O'Connor College of Law at Arizona State University in Phoenix, Arizona.
0: All right, Tempe. All right, Phoenix.
1: It's actually Phoenix. Okay. So the ten- oh. the undergrad campus is in Tempe, but we are in gotcha. Phoenix. We're a little bit more f- sophisticated, so we have to be separated.
0: <laughs> That's funny. Uh, are you a fan of Sandra Day O'Connor?
1: Actually, I'm not. I she's <laughs> not one of my favorites.
0: Good, good. We were, I, I was
1: actually reviewing some abortion jurisprudence today, and she uh, just disappointed me a
0: few your, times. Your so. stock just went up. People were a little worried for a second. They were like, wait, why did she go there? No, no, that's great. That's a great answer. Well, you like the law school. It doesn't have to be named after somebody that you like, right?
1: Right, exactly.
0: She was the first woman on the Supreme Court.
1: And yeah, I have complete respect for her, but not, not a fan of her jurisprudence.
0: Yeah, that's right. Is she still alive? Do you happen to know? Not sure.
1: I thought she, you know what? I thought she was, but I could be wrong.
0: Well, her jurisprudence is still alive, unfortunately, on certain things. Yes. <laughs> um, but um, I actually have a biography of her that I've, I've poked around in. She's from the West. She's from Arizona. Duh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. So there's some interesting things about her. I'm sure we don't disagree about everything. Um, there's some reason that Reagan put her on there, even though sometimes it's hard to tell.
1: She had a fantastic opinion in Gonzalez v. Reich, where she defended, uh, it was a dissenting opinion, where she defended the Commerce Clause and the need for a narrow interpretation there. Oh, she pretty good. much, she put it nicely that now the way that our Commerce Clause jurisprudence is laid out, it's, it's nothing more than a statutory guide for Congress yeah. to get around yeah. the legislative whatever they want, pretty much. Like yeah. the Commerce. So I think there are definitely things that I agree with her on. But I think when it comes to to life and protecting innocent children, um, I think those considerations kind of have outweighed my my opinion of her jurisprudence.
0: Somebody's listening to this carefully and they're thinking, OK, I'm sizing up this girl here. She's in <laughs> law school in Arizona, but she said she's on the East Coast, even though she was raised in California. What's going on there? What's going on so, with that?
1: I am on the East Coast this summer because I am clerking for uh, Senator Ted Cruz on the United States Senate Judiciary Committee. So that naturally has placed me in the wonderful place of uh, the District of Columbia.
0: How do you you say his name? What's his name again?
1: Senator Ted Cruz.
0: Ted Cruz. Is he married to, is he, uh, is he related to Tom Cruz, do you think?
1: (laughs) I I don't think so. Oh, Ted Cruz. Yeah, Ted Cruz.
0: Wow, that's a pretty cool position you got there. Congratulations!
1: Hey, thank you. I'm having a blast.
0: I listen to his podcast that he does with Michael Knowles.
1: Oh, Michael Knowles, yes, Verdict is great, and I listen yeah. to Michael Knowles just about every day. He's fantastic.
0: Yeah, he is. Actually, he's very good. He's a he's a performer. You can see that he spent years on stage. Oh, yeah. And that's his craft is and uh, he's he's directing that skill set to politics, culture, which is just great. Now, how did you um, how did you land that gig with uh, Senator uh, Ted, not Tom, but Ted Cruz?
1: Yes, it's actually a complete God thing. It was a networking scenario where I knew of someone who knew someone and the doors just opened. It was. I like to joke around because in law school, if anyone is familiar with it, the the application process is quite arduous. So it's when you're undergoing interviews, because I'm I'm just a 1L. I just finished my 1L year. When you're undergoing interviews as a 1L, they call them on-campus interviews, OCI, shorthand. And it's just a rapid fire speed dating scenario. And you're just submitting countless, countless applications. And it takes a lot of time. And this was the easiest application I filled out because God had me meet the right people at the right time, and um, that's awesome. That's all I. That's all I can say. Not, not nothing with me because I hardly had to do anything on my end.
0: Did you meet so. them on campus or was it online? How did that work? It was,
1: it was virtually. It was all virtual. Oh wow! Yeah. Wow.
0: praise God. Tell us about your first year of law school uh, there in Arizona. What's that like? What was? Tell us, uh, you know, from start to finish. Like, what time do you get up? What do you do? How do you? How did you succeed? I know you did very well because I follow you. Um, (laughs) you. So, I mean, that's the impression I got. I mean, of course, everybody gives an impression, you know, that that might not be reality, but you seem to be very genuine. Um, And I don't think that you're you're the kind of person based on what I know that would uh, falsify something like that. It seems like you're very um, happy to be in law school and happy to have gone to college and you don't take anything for granted because you don't feel like you're necessarily entitled to be there because of any family connections or because yeah. you're rich or something like that. It mm-hmm. seems like um, you're very ambitious, um, but also honest. So tell us about your day. What do you get up early? Do you stay up late?
1: So it depends on the season. During law school, I, I believe the typical day for me was waking up around five thirty to six in the morning, and then I go to bed about anywhere from ten thirty to eleven p.m. So, essentially, the first thing I do when I get up, I spend time with the Lord. The Lord comes first in my life. I give him, I give him my my first fruits because I know if I try to wait later to pray, it's not going to get done to the, to the level that it needs to. And I like to prime my day with the Word. Okay, so let me let me I drill
0: do. let me drill down there. Yeah. I, I, just a little bit. I mean, not, you know, obviously bathroom level stuff, but I'm just <laughs> when you wake up, do, do you pour coffee first or, or is it um, like, are you having breakfast or is it like when no. you get up, you're like on your knees or, or you got the, the word open? What, how does that work?
1: This is a really good question. So I don't drink coffee. Um, I never have, I just, it doesn't, I can't do it. Um, but what I do the first is thing I beer? do. When I wake you drink up, beer in the morning. I don't drink any alcohol. I don't drink coffee. I don't drink anything okay. with caffeine in it. Um, I mostly drink a lot wow. of water. I drink about like anywhere from half a gallon to a gallon of water a day. Yeah, no,
0: no coffee. And you're no did coffee. your first year of law school.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it is possible if any wow. future law students are listening to this, you can do it. Bananas give you lots of great energy, but anyway. I wait I first thing I do when I wake up I get my Bible cuz I leave my Bible really close to my bed and I just read the Bible in bed and I play worship music like that's literally the first thing that I do when I wake up. I don't leave my bed. I spend time with the Lord pretty much there. Using then, headphones? No, my husband is has to he has to unfortunately undergo my prayer time. So he, whether he's asleep or not, That's he's participating. yeah,
0: does he have so, a yeah. job? Does he have a job that he goes to and stuff?
1: He does. He does. He works for Turning Point USA actually in Arizona.
0: How do you spell that? Turn.
1: Turn like T-U-R-N-I-M-E. Turning Point. Yes.
0: And then how do you spell USA?
1: I've heard, you know, I've heard of that. I've actually,
0: I've, I've actually heard of that organization. Now, wait, (laughs) does he get up at the same time or is it, is there a battle there? No,
1: we go to bed at the same time. We wake up at the same time. Okay.
0: That's good. Yeah. So you have the worship music on your phone then or something? Yeah.
1: Sometimes I'll have them play it on the TV. It just depends. It depends. But how how much, how
0: much of the Bible do you read? Is it like one verse, half of a verse?
1: No. Or is it like like a whole chunk? I follow a Bible reading plan, so that could be anywhere from a chapter to three chapters. Oh, that's
0: pretty good. That's yeah. pretty significant, actually. Okay.
1: The word is, yeah, I, I'm trying, I really want to be able to say that, um, that I've read the Bible at least like a few times through. Oh, yeah. But, so I'm trying to get mm-hmm. there. It's really hard, but I'm, I'm trying to get there. What, but, uh, so,
0: what, what translation do you use?
1: Oh, that's a good question. So I normally do a new King James version, but I just got this Bible that I really like because it's rose gold and i happen to like the color (laughs) and it has a reading plan on the back of it. I don't remember what, what version it is. It might be, it might, you know what? I think it's new living translation.
0: New living. Okay.
1: Yeah. I I tend to be good with new living translation. And you're going
0: with that translation only because of the color.
1: Yes. (laughs) <laughs> okay. well, that, hey it's you got you thing. got the
0: rest of your life you know you can change versions i mean i know i have
1: exactly, exactly. I, I had the new
0: king james when i was a kid and yeah that's a good that's a good version actually that especially with the psalms and stuff yes yes um so no. okay so uh do you have breakfast after that do you yeah
1: i i have to eat breakfast so um yeah, I'll have breakfast and then I'll get, I'll head to school probably. I don't, I used to be able to do work at home, but now I've kind of adapted myself to needing to go physically to school. So typically I, that will put me at school at around anywhere from between seven to seven thirty before my husband goes to work. Cause he just drops me off. And then I stay at the school until he gets off work, which can depend on the day. He doesn't really have like a, I, at the time, he didn't really have like a set time that he finished. It just depended on his projects. So, and, and then sometimes I'll get out after, I'll get out of class after he got off of work. So it just depended. And then from there, I would go home, eat dinner, and then continue working until about the end of the night. But for the most part, at least five days a week, I'm a, I'm a certified personal trainer on the side. I don't do anything with it right now because I've been a little busy but I like to keep, I like to keep fitness um, in the center of my life when I can. So I try to exercise about five times a week. Um, So sometimes after I get home from school, I'll I'll exercise for about an hour time and then I'll get back to work. But typically I like to actually do that. One of the last things I do in the day, because that's when my brain just doesn't work anymore. My brain works the best first thing in the morning. So I like to put it to work with my school. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh,
0: now, do you bring your lunch to school?
1: Yes. Yeah, most of the time. So, actually, yeah, no, almost all the time I bring my lunch to school.
0: So you have to pack that. And do you, you take great care in doing that? Or you just throw some stuff in there, like some Cheetos?
1: Well, I have yeah. to admit, I am not the one that packs my lunches. My, oh. husband, my husband is a phenomenal man. And he mostly, especially during the latter months when I'm in finals, he's the one doing the cooking. He packs my lunch. He makes me my breakfast.
0: Oh, that's cool. It wouldn't
1: be a lot. Yeah. So so this transition, me being on the East Coast, because he's still in Arizona working his job uh, for the time mm-hmm. being. So this has been very shell shocking for me. <laughs> yeah. Reminding myself, you know, lot how to sticking. do basic things. But, oh, yeah. right, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs>
0: hilarious. So what do you have for breakfast? What does he make you?
1: Oh, we love going to the farmer's market. So we get homemade sourdough bread. So sometimes it'll be a bagel with that bread. Sometimes for the most part, it'll be like a protein shake and some eggs. Really depends. We get, we get really obsessed with something and then we'll eat it to death and then we'll have to change it and then keep rotating. So that's funny. It just depends.
0: So you went through your sushi phase for breakfast and then now you're like, (laughs) now you're on cereal. You're on Lucky Charms. Something like that. not quite but okay so and then breakfast what do you or sorry a lunch and dinner what do you do
1: so different every time for the most part it'll be leftovers for lunch or mm-hmm. costco has these phenomenal burrito three dollars i think it's like three oh. for like eleven dollars or something like that oh that's very they have great protein like but um yeah it, it'll just depend on what we had for dinner
0: love costco Yes, really. Should they should they should have they should be paying us for this commercial though?
1: They really should. Yes.
0: Okay. So, what uh, courses did you take your first year of law school? Okay. Now people are going to start tuning out a little bit, but um, (laughs) I'm sure you can make it interesting. And I'm going to ask you ahead of time, what was your best course that you had? And you got to pick one. Okay. If you had to, you're going to be tortured if you don't in this make believe such scenario. So if you had to avoid torture or if you don't care about yourself, then you had to, your husband was going to be tortured if you didn't pick one class. And then also what was the worst class? If you had to choose, I'm not saying there was one, but if you had to choose.
1: All right. So worst class. Well, first of all,
0: tell us the classes first. Okay.
1: Yes, you're right. I should. So the first semester I took civil procedure, which is just knowing, learning the basics of the litigation process, essentially. Um, And then I took contracts, I took torts, and then I took legal method in writing. The second semester, I took constitutional law, I took professional responsibility, which is essentially legal ethics, ethics for lawyers. And then I took criminal law, property, and then a course called legal advocacy, which is essentially a legal writing class as well, but it's a different type of legal writing class. So the first semester legal writing class was an objective um, legal writing class for things for like internal work products, such as memorandums. And the second semester legal writing class was a brief writing class, which is more persuasive legal writing, things that you would do for the court. So that's hard. So I'm going to start with the worst class first. And I think in terms of subject matter, things that are interesting, I'm going to say contracts. Uh, That's just... Have no interest in oh. business litigation as it stands. And yeah, contracts was was rough for me, but I will say my professor was incredible. So it's not a reflection on him. He actually taught the class extremely well, was very organized. And I enjoyed his book. I think his textbook was really helpful, but I just didn't like the subject matter. And that's not something he can really change. And my favorite class, that is also very hard. <laughs> Because I'm sorry I made
0: you choose, but uh, <laughs>
1: well, you can you, tell us it's... the
0: second favorite if you want.
1: Okay. Well, no, no, no. I, I actually, am having a hard time choosing between classes because, um, legal writing, legal writing was just, it, it's, I just love writing. So that was really fun for me, but, um, the doc out of the doctrinal, they're also different. It's hard for me to compare like constitutional law to legal writing because what I did for them were completely different. So I'll say out of all the classes, probably legal writing was my favorite because I felt like I was actually doing lawyer things. Um, but out of all the doctrinals, constitutional law takes it for me. It's one of my great passions. And that's that we, we didn't even cover any of the individual rights, which is what you know as the amendments. It was just a class pretty much on separation of powers and federalism principles with like a little bit of just disability, which is standing, mootness, rightness, things like that. So, constitutional law for doctrinals and legal writing just because i was able I, I felt like i was actually being a lawyer
0: oh there you go so you just covered the original constitution minus like civil liberty stuff like habeas sure. corpus and privileges and amusement stuff like that
1: we did, we, we did go over privileges and immunity so we covered I want to say we covered almost everything up to the amendment. Okay. But, yeah. That's but if I were good. to separate it by subject matter, it'd be separation of powers, federalism, just disability. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. So do you have to take the second one? Constitutional law, civil liberties at some point?
1: I'm certainly going to. I don't remember if it's a requirement. And and I never looked at it because I knew I was going to anyway, so it didn't matter to me. i <laughs> <Good> for <laughs> I'm you. going to, yeah. I'm that, going to that would to break my it. heart
0: if it's a if it's an elective. That's that would
1: that's right, horrible. I, I agree, but I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it was. That would so.
0: break my heart.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Um, how was torts?
1: I enjoyed torts. My professor, I think, I, I don't think I've <laughs> Wait, had it hold so on. bad. Do you mm-hmm. say,
0: did you say you enjoy torts or that you enjoyed the class?
1: I enjoyed the <laughs> class. I do not enjoy, I, yeah, I do not enjoy actual you torts.
0: Don't, you don't enjoy getting getting, being on the receiving end of a tort or no, co- no, committing no. them. Okay, gotcha. Or,
1: or you know, even having to be in the position of an advocate for one, because it's, yeah. they're quite sad instances. But anyway, yeah, it was a great class. I had a great professor. Again, I don't really have many bad things to say about my professors. They were all pretty good and for the most part stuck to the material and didn't waver from, which I was actually pretty surprised. I was very worried about being indoctrinated but I don't mm-hmm. feel like I was in any of my classes. They pretty much stuck to the book, which is, I guess, because the American Bar Association is just very strict with, you know, things that you need to cover for the bar. There, yeah. I guess there's very little room to insert your own political opinions, but that could come in my like upper level courses when there's more room for that. So I'll keep you posted. <laughs> yeah, that'd
0: be interesting to hear. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm curious about the culture of law school and whether it's a, There are healthy campuses, there are unhealthy campuses. Sometimes campuses go through phases that are healthy and then they're not healthy anymore and vice versa. How did you find the the other students and the culture of the campus?
1: So I was really worried about law school because you you constantly hear about how cutthroat it could be. The way that law school works is you are pretty much competing with everyone in your class for the grades. Not everyone in your class can get an A. In fact, people have to receive Bs, um, and in some schools, people have to receive Cs and things like that. It's it, it's pretty I intense. I love that. And you
0: know, I really like that.
1: <laughs> it, it encourages academic excellence. That's for sure. People are they take their studies extremely seriously, which I definitely agree with you. I think that the undergraduate, I mean, I think undergraduate degrees need to be harder to get. But anyway, that's just a whole other conversation. But yeah, the culture at my law school, honestly, was not as cutthroat as I was expecting but not that's not to say that it wasn't cutthroat at all obviously I've seen and I've heard of stories of people doing things like hiding books in the library or telling people the wrong time that an exam was or things like that uh, never personally firsthand witnessed anything like that but I've just this is just from what I've been told on the grapevine which take that with a grain of salt um, obviously I came across people that were that were unfriendly but even at my private Christian school that I went to for undergrad I encountered people like that too but in in law school I did find that people were more willing to actually talk about the issues than in undergrad which very surprised and, and a large part of that is my school actually did have a very strong conservative presence there's this a uh, society called the Federalist Society and it's where conservative yeah yeah you're right it, it's where more conservative minded um, law thumbs, gathered. It's, thumbs yeah up. and it's incredible. Um, the Christian Legal Society was a great place for me to meet like-minded people in terms of faith, and so I actually have a very—I I feel like I had a great group of support in both my faith and in my politics at school. So, it, honestly, a radically different experience than what I had in under than what I had in undergrad, which is really surprising because I went to undergrad in Oklahoma at a private Christian school, so I thought that it would be the opposite, but it, but it really wasn't.
0: So. Uh... How old are you? Can you mind if we ask you that?
1: Of course, I'm 22.
0: 22. Yeah. You do not look a day over 21. <laughs> I'm telling you. Uh, <laughs> now, are you counting your age from birth or conception? I uh, had birth. <laughs> birth. I don't
1: want to. I don't want to count no, it from no. conception. Personally. What's that? I personally do not want to know anything about conception. Oh,
0: okay. I got you.
1: Yeah, <laughs> of my life.
0: Tell me about your views on conception as far as in constitutional law. I'm so, I'm le- I'm laying it out there for you if you want to <laughs> have a comment on bioethics and and abortion jurisprudence.
1: I believe that life begins at conception and I believe that that um because life begins at conception, the unborn child should fall under, if we're going to make the the issue of abortion an issue of um, substantive due process under the 14th Amendment, that that the unborn child certainly applies as a person. it, It is a human being, and it deserves equal protection under the law. That simple.
0: Yeah. Well, birth. Um, for the most part, I would say, is a sufficient condition for U.S. citizenship if you're born here and you're subject to the jurisdiction thereof, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Do you think that, that, uh, that the citizenship issue is what's clouding people's minds on abortion because they confuse citizen and person? Which is interesting. I'm asking you as a Hispanic... That question there it's interesting there's a lot of uh, hispanic students that i've had in california Mm -hmm. very close to where you're from Mm -hmm. and in fact actually most it's very easy for me to say most of my students have been hispanics um because i've taught in los angeles and some of my classes were almost entirely hispanic in some of the areas that i taught in in the city of los angeles
1: right
0: and um I've discovered that uh, a lot of times people say they're pro-choice because they think that that's what they're supposed to say. But when you drill down and you ask them about personhood versus citizenship, they totally get it. They get that the person is not the same as the citizen. And yeah. and uh, birth, that's the trigger for citizenship, not personhood. And so when I point that out to them, they they go, oh, and they start now you can see the wheels turning on their views on abortion. And a lot of them just start saying they're pro-life and that's actually their real view. But they were too afraid to say it.
1: It's really sad how people really feel bullied into supporting a specific position. I think I mean, I, I encountered that the most at my Christian undergrad where people I like I I don't know how else to put it other than they really did feel bullied into believing a certain position. And I think even in, in conversations with my own family members, most of the time they ne- they never really took the time to think through the the greater substantive issue. They just kind of followed whatever the media said, followed whatever their family member told them to follow because they didn't want to cause any strife in the family or because they just didn't really feel like speaking it through, honestly. But every time when I pose, you know, similar questions to my family, like the one that you did there, it makes sense to them. They grasp it. It's just, you know, why, why try to go against the culture when, whenever you go against the culture, you are demonized, you know? So 100%, 100% correct. That is the epitome of what I have encountered with my family members and trying to, you know, hassle through specifically during the 2016 election when some of my family members were still Democrats. I remember there was one particular family member, we had maybe two hour long conversation about whether or not specific immigration policies were racist and whether I was turning my back on my culture because i supported specific immigration policies and it was a matter of identity politics for him and really not taking the time to ration through it but at the end of the conversation you're able to come to an understanding and in the end now he's a conservative and is an amazing person so i mean and he always was but it's just it was that one issue and it always is it always is
0: I was on those Los Angeles campuses myself during the fall of 2016 and spring of 2017. And that was a crazy time in Los Angeles on campus. And um, I had many conversations with with, uh, students, many, many of them Hispanic students that Mm -hmm. were afraid of Trump. Uh, I don't know if they hated him so much as they were afraid of him and i had to talk them down from the ledge and say look he is his own worst enemy i mean he he does not control his 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 twitter and his mouth but if you drill down into um like the wall issue or something some of the stuff they were worried about was totally out there like they thought that there was going to be like muslims in camps or something i think there was something he said one time." But I, I just knew, I knew that wasn't true. That wasn't what his view was. I don't know. I'm not sure if I can explain exactly how I knew that, but it was just kind of a gut sense of, yeah, that's not really even close to happening. Right. But, but, um, but as far as the wall, I, I, I thought that he would have a really hard time getting that through, but I think he was trying to say that there's a, big problem here with with uh people coming over the border in such a porous way the way he said it was not the best way i wouldn't have said it that way but so we had to think about what does it mean to have a border and what does Hmm. it mean to feel like you're mixing up innocent people with criminal elements which that's always a problem, but it's actually true. There's this huge criminal element at the border called the cartels and, and they traffic people, they traffic drugs. It's a very ugly scene. And uh, so it's very complicated. And of course, Trump was not very likable as a person by many people, but I'm not sure if he could have beat Hillary, if he was likable, because Uh, Hillary was everybody thought oh we now have to have a woman so
1: <laughs> exactly yeah I and, and specifically in California there's there's a very um, promulgated um, immigration issue and we saw that this recently with the tunnel that was uncovered in San Diego I believe it was that ran the length of several football fields where they used it to funnel in um a bunch of narcotics into the united states and that's not the only case of that so it, it's really it's very interesting how like a lot well i told you all my family members are from california they immigrated a, a large part of them immigrated from mexico and so it's really interesting how they are very concerned about you know, one side of the aisle when, when when the problem that the government is trying to address is, is right in front of them um, and i think once we were willing to like engage in conversations. And honestly, it all started with questions of like, okay, well then let's, let's define this. What do you, what do you mean by this? And having civil discourse, we're able to come to understanding.
0: That's, that's a big deal. So you value talking with people and listening to what they have to say.
1: Yes. I was a debater, I was a debater in high school, and a big, big, big part of the debate is it's not just preparing your own case. You will never win a debate if you only pay attention to what you are going to say. You can only win a debate if you, while the other person is talking, pay very close attention to what they're saying and take good notes on what they're saying so that you can, one, ration, rationalize your argument so that you can better understand your own, and then two, present your opinion through the framework that they've laid out because if your points don't address their points and if you don't conceptualize their points then there really is no discussion there is no discussion which is no argument so there can't be a winner
0: some people listen to what other people are going to say but that's only because they're trying to plan what they're going to say um do you think that there's value in just listening to somebody and just like hearing them out and and maybe not not having a response i mean because especially when you're when you're dealing with family you know like uh if they want to have a debate that's one thing but if they're just upset about something sometimes debating is not the best thing what what do you think about that
1: typically i am in complete agreement typically when there is any sort of ad hominems from a party, that's when I think that it's appropriate to not argue back. because the, the, the party has made it clear that they're not willing to engage in a conversation with you. All they really want to do is bully you, call you names. And, and it just becomes a, a, a pathway for them to be able to express their anger at you, which is not going to lead to any productive discussion. So when that starts to happen, that's when I cut it off. And I think for those people, you just have to love them and show them the truth through your actions. But if, when, and if people are actually willing to, to have conversations with you. And for the most part, that's when, you know, there's not really that sort of anger and, and ad hominem being thrown. I, I always stand up for the truth. And that needs to happen through first listening to their, to their side, because you can't just have like a pre-made argument for every policy issue and just throw it at people. You have to understand like, okay, why do you think that abortion is correct because everyone will give you a different answer whether it's like like you said they yeah. believe the, the citizenship issue or whether they believe that that conception life doesn't begin at conception or maybe even they believe that they do but they're just okay with murdering the unborn which i have come across people like that yeah so you have to address the argument depending That's on their, their root value
0: yeah so basically pay attention to the individual in front of you when you're having a conversation like that.
1: Exactly. Don't say anything until you first know where they're coming from, in my opinion.
0: What did you major in in college?
1: I studied political science with a minor in pre-law.
0: And do you mind saying where you went?
1: I went to Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma.
0: All right. And um did did you find that to be a challenging academic experience or did it <laughs> did you take logic?
1: No. So no actually, logic. I took oh. my logic class in high school. Okay. But I did I did take debate in college. They did offer it for credit as well. And I, I did debate since my freshman semester and I did it until I graduate. But did I you, think did you, I, you go I to public schools in, in high school?
0: school? Sorry, did you go to public? High, did you go to public high school?
1: Kind of. So I went to a charter school, so it was charter half school, okay. in person, half. Yeah, half in person, half kind of like a homeschool thing. But I would go in person for three days out of the week for instruction. And then the other two days I would bring home my work. And that was really nice because I was able to move at my own pace. So I was able to finish a year early. Cause I just worked through like the summers and stuff and I was just tired of high school. Um, so yeah, it, it was like a quasi public school because I think the money came from the government, if I'm correct for the school.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a public school. Yeah. Yeah. Charters are public. Uh. All right. So now what were you like as a, I guess I'm skipping over. Is there anything else you wanted to say about oral Roberts?
1: No, I think I've said a lot about you.
0: <laughs> okay. So you wish it was more rigorous, basically? Is that kind of what I was
1: getting Yeah, I, I I would wish so. I, I can't put any shame on the professors that I've had. I think, uh, well, specifically the like ones from my grade, department. My, do you feel like there was grade
0: Do you feel like there was grade
1: inflation? I not to talk. I I try not to talk about grades with a lot of my classmates, Um, but I certainly think that there were people, like, from from the secondhand things that I've learned, I was shocked at some of the grades that some of my peers received when I saw, like, the the difference between the level of work product that me and some of the other people put in and and, and the level of work product that they put in, but I, I can't say for sure for my major classes. But for like the other classes that I was like some of the what they call like prerequisites, I am certain there was great inflation. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think for, for some of them, they even would grade it on a curve or something. And I think that that might lead to some inflation as well.
0: Oh yeah, that that's mm-hmm. that's the only reason to, to grade on a curve is because did did you evaluate your professors at I at, did for each class? Okay.
1: I did. Yeah.
0: Well, if, if the students did not evaluate their professors, I think there would be much less grade inflation because it's just a matter of incentives responding to incentives. So you got a lot of people don't think about structural issues like that. The the incentives you're putting in place mean, you know, the way it used to be the professor had certain demands and you had to meet those demands and for the most part the demands were calculated to making you excellent at stuff yeah and that did give the professor a lot of power and there's a lot of heads out there but but i think overall it it produced a type of rigor that we it, that's almost unknown now it's almost yeah. unknown i i got a taste of that in my education but i kind of looked for it I knew what I was looking for and I had to seek it out. A lot of people, they're not looking for that at all, especially, you know, like student, I I have this talk with my students and I usually ask them, why are you here? Yeah. Really? Why are you here? You know? Um, Yeah.
1: It's, it it was just really, really confusing. Having a very hard high school education being told that when I get to college, it's going to be super hard and, and I'm going to struggle and then getting there and being like, this is easier than high school. Why is that? Because in my final exams in high school, I mean, I didn't have a professor literally having a study session telling me what is going to be on the exam. Whereas in college, if you you attended the study session, there was no incentive to attending any of the classes because you knew that the study session at the very end that professor gave was going to give away every single question that the final exam had for the most part. So it, it was very frustrating.
0: That's very sad. Yes. What are your ambitions? What do, you, what do you hope to accomplish with law school?
1: Well, I've never been, you know, what's really funny is that I'm not necessarily, I, I'm not necessarily want to be a lawyer long-term. I see myself serving in the public sector, whether that be serving politicians or serving as a politician myself, I've always had an knack for government. Um, that's what brought me to law school not necessarily the dream of being in a courtroom, but being in a Capitol building of some sort. Um, I have a very strong passion for legislation. I think that the legislative branch has a lot of power that needs to be checked. So I could see myself, I I, I am open to whatever political position, if any, that the Lord may may want me to serve in. But um, there's there, for now, I know that there are specific policy issues that I, I want to impact as a lawyer, which obviously include um, life issues if there are any, God willing, hoping that Dobbs obviously is, uh, overturns Roe. We're, hope- we're hoping for a good report there, but I mean, on a state level, we'll still have a lot of work to do. Um, I really want to work on medical freedom issues. I'm passionate about the administrative state and maintaining separation of powers, not allowing junior varsity congresses to dictate my life because I did not elect them a lot of there's a myriad of policy issues that I'm really passionate about. So we'll see.
0: <laughs> okay, sounds great. You're checking a lot of boxes here, Karina. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of uh, people your age don't even know what the administrative state is, or why it's a problem, <laughs> or what does it have to do with the uh, separation of powers, or what junior yeah. varsity, the junior varsity quote, or who that com- <laughs> who that comes from. So good job. I'm assuming, you know, it comes from.
1: It comes from Justice Scalia. Very good. Yeah. Okay.
0: Glad to yeah. hear that.
1: But yeah, I actually, I owe that to my comma professor. He, he did go over some of that. So I am, I am grateful for that.
0: Yeah. That's a classic Scalia quote. Yeah. Um, Now, uh, how are you going to tell if the Lord wants you to go into the legislative branch or how are you going to discern that? I'm sure people are wondering in the future, do you hear a voice from God or what, what's that process like?
1: (laughs) It's hard to describe how, are you crazy? (laughs) No, I'm not crazy. No, (laughs) I think that the Lord has a few ways of talking to me and and just some examples of the way that he's done it before. Well, I will feel like I'm discerning something in myself. Like I feel as though I have a thought that I know that I didn't come up with. And then the Lord will confirm it through a third party that I just out of nowhere. So, um, for example, with ORU, my decision to go to ORU, um, my mom originally said that the Lord told her and I said, I don't, you know, I don't buy it. Like I have this other thing that I want to do instead. And then the Lord opens the door for me to get a scholarship that's only offered to about 10 people out of thousands that apply. Um, and it's a full tuition scholarship. And so it's this random little confirmations that the Lord will have will do in my life that originally start with either something that I feel or something that someone in my tight circle um, of of mentors and and, and family um, discern about my life. So.
0: so in other words, you're looking for things that don't seem to be coincidences they couldn't be yes. coincidence. Exactly.
1: Okay.
0: The you're not doing the statistical analysis exactly but it's like pretty clear this is not just it could be a coincidence possible
1: mm-hmm. well but i just I, I i think that everything in life has a purpose and because because we're, we were we were all put on on this earth on purpose mm-hmm. so i believe that god does not let things happen on accident so uh, um and the me... only go ahead Did
0: you just called me a goathead gosh I've been so nice to you I was just going to ask you if you have any brothers or sisters
1: I do I have one younger brother and one younger sister and they're both Irish twins so they're 10 months apart and so they're they're quite close
0: that's cool mm-hmm. You got you, are you close with them
1: I am close with them just so my brother is do you want to give him a shout out
0: on the podcast
1: yes Shout out to you, Christian,
0: Christian, <laughs> and, okay. and
1: Annabelle. Annabelle is my sister, so yeah, they're they're in they're still in high school themselves. Um, they'll be graduating here pretty soon here. So there there was an age difference between us, but I think now that we're both like able to form thoughts, um, we're able to have like a closer relationship, which has been really fun. Well,
0: the prerequisite is they have to know what the commerce clause is
1: yeah then then we can be <laughs> then okay. we can ha- then we can be friends <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah we
0: are we are up on our hour mark, and I know that you have to go. you're doing some very important things there in washington d c um, I just wanna alert you that probably the Chinese government is watching you, so just be yeah. careful what you say, be I careful know, what you, know. you
1: do. They already got me, they got my Facebook, so we'll
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> they're busy they're busy already
1: yep well thank
0: you so much we'll let you go yeah it's been (laughs) a joy uh catching up with you uh karina salcido going into her second year of law school at arizona state they're in uh, phoenix and uh working for ted cruz over the summer you want to keep an eye on on uh, karina she's a delightful young lady she's humble and has a servant's heart She's also uh, incredibly ambitious and cares about uh, forming her mind and her soul in such a way that she can be useful to the Lord uh, and to America. And I'm assuming you like America, right? Is this correct, Karina?
1: I do love America. Yep. (laughs) That comes out.
0: You are patriotic.
1: Yes, I'm glad. I'm glad that 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 is shown.
0: (laughs) We're a patriotic podcast. We loved having you on, Karina.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.